Hello everyone, and welcome to Paranormalized, where in an attempt to normalize the paranormal, we share stories, concepts, and facts from this world of the unexplained. This is season three of our podcast that dives deep into any and all manner of the unknown. I'm your co-host, Alicia. I'm Drew. And I'm Alex. And welcome to Paranormalized. Okay, thank you all for joining us this week. As we mentioned last time, we're going to be talking about werewolves today in all of their historic glory. We've already talked about vampires, as some of you may recall. We still have a few episodes like this left, so if you like our folklorish content, we've got some more coming your way. Whoop-dee-doo. So let's get started. Uh, The concept of werewolves has actually been around for thousands of years, going all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh in 2100 BCE. However, it was really the Greeks, Romans, and Arcadians that invented the well-known image of werewolf that has been popularized in modern day. So starting with Greek historian... I'm going to butcher all these names, guys. Greek historian Herodotus. Herodotus. This is what Alex is really for. (laughs) Greek historian Herodotus often talked of this nomadic group from Scythia. I think it's Scythia. Scythia. (laughs) Nope. Okay. Often talked of this nomadic group from Scythia, which is now a part of Russia, who turned into wolves during the cold months in order to stay warm. They were called the Nuri, and they were known for their large groups and excellent hunting skills. While now we know that it is more likely that the Nuri simply hunted wolves and wore their pelts to stay warm, the fearsome sight of half-man, half-wolf, able to walk on hide legs became a staple in folklore all around the world. The Arcadians made another addition to the common werewolf description, which is a taste for human flesh. In most cultures, cannibalism has never been okie-dokie. The Arcadians worshipped a version of Zeus known as the Lycian Zeus, or the Wolf Zeus, uh, who called upon a king named Lycaon to guard his temple. Upon a visit from the deity himself, someone within Lycaon's family mixed in human remains with the god's dinner in order to test his strength and true identity. They thought that some dude was just pretending to be Zeus. And according to Pliny the Elder, this was a very common cult ritual among the Arcadians. Um, He says that the story goes that he who tastes the one bit of human entrails minced up with those of other victims is inevitably transformed into a wolf. Of course. Obviously. (laughs) Apparently, this concept started when a young athlete named, oh boy. Demarcus. Demarcus sacrificed an adolescent boy into his ritual sacrifice to Zeus. He felt compelled to taste the boy's entrails, and as a punishment, he was turned into a wolf for nine years. So nine years? I don't know. (laughs) So when Lycaon tried to feed Zeus human meat, Zeus was obviously very upset about this. Uh, He could sense the difference right away without having to even eat anything. Um, in one version of the story, Zeus slayed Lycaon's sons with a lightning bolt and turned the king into a wolf. And in the other version, uh, Zeus decides to spare the sons, but Lycaon still suffers the same fate and gets turned into a wolf. Now, in this second version, uh, where the sons are spared, um, this version is really one of the only ancient accounts of the actual transition into a werewolf. So, I'm going to quote it for you. It says... He tried to speak, but his voice broke into an echoing howl. His ravening soul infected his jaws. His murderous longings were turned on the cattle. 
he still was possessed by bloodlust. His garments were changed into a shaggy coat and his arms into legs. He was now transformed into a wolf. Badass. Right? This version of Lycan had been key in formulating the modern werewolf myth because it establishes the monstrous werewolf trope in modern fiction. Um, this is the idea that you turn into how you act. So Lycan's character defects are physically grafted onto his body, manipulating his human form until he becomes that which his behavior suggests. And perhaps most importantly, Lycan begins the idea that to transform into a werewolf, you must already be a monster. Ooh. Okay, but he's not a two-legged werewolf because it says his arms turn into legs, so he's right. still well, just a I mean, normal wolf. Still just like dangle. No, he's I like think... a twilight werewolf. Yeah, I think he's a twilight werewolf. Okay, is what it is. I'm cool with that. That's bad. We shouldn't talk about twilight. <laughs> oh, I definitely mentioned twilight later. <laughs> oh no. Also, just to backtrack a little bit, when you said that cannibalism was not okie dokie, I'm definitely going to be referring to anything I disagree with as not okie dokie. It's not okie dokie. I actually say that at work all the time. <laughs> that is not okie dokie. It's dude. not okie dokie. If anyone ever cheats on me, that's going to be my response. Like, dude, that, that is, is totally not, not okie dokie. I got these really awful text messages earlier, guys, and guess what? They were not okie dokie. They were not okie dokie. Not that at for all. Sure. It was great googly moogly. <laughs> no, not okie dokie. Great googly moogly. <laughs> That's how I'm going to respond. These messages are not okie dokie. Anyways, uh, jumping forward in the folklore timeline, we land in the medieval times. As Yay. we've already discussed in Alicia's witchcraft episode, the Catholic Church was attempting to get rid of all things paganish, as the Catholic Church does. For the werewolf legend, they were lumped in with, you guessed it, Satan. The head honchos of the church, who were clearly in dire need of hobbies, spent untold man hours debating whether werewolves literally took on the form of the wolf, or whether Satan just tricked us into thinking they did. Satan. They finally came to the conclusion that Satan was just messing with our minds, as he does. After this point, the concept of werewolves remained relatively unchanged until modern day. While there are still tales of the monstrous werewolf, modern depictions lean away from that, branching into dozens of new werewolf tropes. Just take a moment to think of all the TV shows. I have to um, confess, I never watched Teen Wolf. I actually didn't either. I think I watched the first episode and then just couldn't do it. I've never watched any of those kind of cult classic shows like Buffy or anything like that. I haven't watched Buffy either, actually. It's on my list, though. I kind of want to watch Buffy. You know what I have seen, though? Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying it was a really racist depiction of the Quileolite tribes. Oh, no, definitely, for sure. You know, it was like hair is pretty sacred in most Native American tribes, and then she, like, makes the werewolves cut their hair short, otherwise Because they look sexier. Oh, her, her <laughs> universe reason was that their coats get very shaggy based on the length of their human hair, so, like, they have to cut Honestly, it short. Honestly, you know what? Bring back the fluffy werewolves. <laughs> I want the long, shaggy-haired, fluffy That's werewolves. what happens to Jacob, okay? Jacob leaves, and he, like, fucks off for a few months and he comes back and he's like just disgusting and shaggy and he's been a wolf for like months at this point and he I comes back and he doesn't act normal at first and then they like shave his head and I was like what is happening um <laughs> like Anyways, think about if Fritz I, was a human think of how long he's he would have very be. long hair he would have such long I'm just saying hair. if like we're going back to the werewolf like eating man flesh if that was a goal of theirs you know I think it would be easier to catch Prey 
if the prey just came up to you because you were shaggy and cute, like fluffy. Oh know? yeah, this is yeah. I would ten out of ten approach a werewolf if they looked like a giant ball of fluff. If they just oh, looked like a giant pomeranian. I, I thought you were talking about prey animals, and I was like, no, prey animals don't go up to things that are cute. <laughs> they just kind of stay along with themselves. You're no, talking about humans. Okay, no, if yeah, the yeah. werewolf, yeah. if the werewolf wanted to eat me, a human. I would be more inclined to just approach them without them having to do any work if they were a giant fluffy animal. Well, um, in the the universe that I'm building, you know, for the book that I'm never going to get... Well, I have written entirely twice and then deleted twice. That thing. So in that universe, the werewolves there can turn into a wolf every night should they choose. But they turn into, like, basically tiny puppies if it's not the full moon. So, like, on the new moon, they would just be, That's like, a smart. tiny little adorable puppy. And then when it's, like, a full moon, they turn into an actual werewolf. And just in between that, it's, like, various dog sizes, essentially. What I want the, the were-pomeranian. You could be a were-pomeranian. Thank you. Yes. What would be I the point a, of turning into a wolf on a new moon, then? Just you don't want to be a human? <laughs> yeah, well, like, you're, you're faster, are you not, as a dog? I don't know. Puppies. <laughs> know. Puppies can be like stepped Actually, on and like hit by things. I don't know if you guys have ever seen my dog. I have a fat ass Sheltie. And there are he's very quick over short distances. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm if I'm running away from him, he will chase me down and he will ram his head into my legs because that's his hurting instinct. But then he collapses on the floor. <laughs> that sounds like my high school track career. Speed, not stamina. <laughs> Well, yes. well, okay. If you're in a if you're in a sticky situation, you're stuck in a corner. Turn into a tiny puppy and just. But don't out you have to it. make that choice at the start of the night? Isn't that what you're saying? Or no, 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 no. You can make it at any point during the night. Yeah. But you can't change back during the night if you make that choice. No, or? they can shift like in between. Okay, but it's only at night that they can shift between. Yeah. Not during the day. Okay, yeah. I, I'm getting it now. I'm understanding your lore. The, the lore here, yeah. the the lore that no one will ever. See. We are extremely Wait. off topic. I want you guys to know when I wrote this episode, I put in parentheses right here. I'm sure there will be some chit chat here that'll get us off track. It's, it's true. I see it right there. It's I true. Was, I was correct. I mean, look at me go. <laughs> anyway, before we get into the actual historic accounts of werewolf interactions, we should talk about something very important. That glowing rock in the sky that I love so dearly. That's right. We gotta talk about the moon for a little bit and the processes associated with it. You can't have werewolves without the moon, people! The connection between werewolves and the moon is probably the most enduring belief associated with this folklore. For literal centuries, people have thought a full moon can make people act strangely. My mom always says that crazy people come to the hospital on full moons, so yeah. Thus, the common refrain of must be a full moon when things start to go haywire. Yep, <laughs> you hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. The idea even made its way into our language with words like lunacy and lunatic, born from the Latin word luna or moon, all coming together. It really does. Then you have those ancient Greeks that noticed the way that the weak gravitational pull of the moon affected the ocean tides and figured that since the human brain contains moisture, that the moon could also screw up someone's mind in the same way, which would cause savage feelings to come forth. You know, that actually makes more sense than 99% of the things that they thought would work in medicine in the 1800s. Right? Like, I kind of love it. Like, the, the whole four, disease the line humors, and the blood thing. Yeah, like, the four humors, no. But gravitational pull of the moisture in our brain, yes. Yes, gravitational yes. pull of the moisture in your brain makes more sense to me than thinking that all disease lied in the blood. So if you're sick, let's just drain <laughs> some of that sick blood out of you. I'm willing I'm willing to go I'm back on board. in time and well, agree yeah. with 
Yeah, like Socrates, Plato, I don't know who's coming up with this, but, you know, handshake. Agreed. (laughs) The civilized man might be gradually transformed by the pull of the moon into a raging, irrational creature, a lunatic. Many of the well-known Greek scholars, such as Aristotle and Hippocrates, agreed with this theory. Then, taking into account one of Greece's moon goddesses, Selene, or is it Selene? I never know with the Greeks. I feel like sometimes they want the A for the E, and sometimes they don't want it. Either way, I think that's a very pretty name. That's actually the name of our moon. Did you know that? Our moon does have a name, and it's It's Selene. I thought it was moon. Moon, moon! (laughs) Okay, well, all the moons, like Mars and and Jupiter and stuff, their moons all have names. names. Ours is Selene. Ours is Selene. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't... It's either Selene or Selene. I apologize to all of our Greek listeners. I like Selene more. I think I like Selene more. Selene. Pull. Selene or Selene? I'm going to go with Selene. Anyway. Wow. um, I'm feeling targeted right now. Going... Rolling back to the beginning of that sentence. When taking into account one of Greece's moon goddesses, Selene, was often portrayed as a wild and unpredictable woman that would... Uh, dance unrestrained in the woods. The Greeks felt that they had further proof the moon made people wild and crazed. But nowadays, we have actual scientific proof. No more of this guesswork and superstitions like in the old days. Well, not as much. Many recent studies have noticed that a large percentage of people are affected by the full moon. So the moon is a means to unlock some of the connections for werewolves. It frees and magnifies emotions. When it's full, its effects are at its peak, magnifying that which is already inside. And to have a common connection with what's inside is to be at your strongest. So are people that are big into astrology, do they believe in werewolves? Hmm. Or at least werewolf in the form of which Greek philosophers defined it, not as werewolf flight. I have lots of people that are super into astrology, but never once have I heard any of them talk about werewolves. So this is Maybe gonna... you should broach the subject with them sometime. Colleen! <laughs> like, hello, my astrology friends. Tell I'm, me. I'm not what's... shitting on astrology by any means, personally. Like, <laughs> what's your opinion I've on I've never werewolves? looked into it personally, so I don't know what it's about, but I know a lot, very a lot of spiritual people out there that are into it, so. We'll figure it out, gang. So. Once you have a full moon in the play, then you have to sort through all the various methods for the actual werewolf transformation. The simplest is probably just taking off all of your clothes and putting on a belt made of wolf skin, which is probably a substitute for the assumption of the entire animal skin, which is also common. In other cases, the body is rubbed with a magic salve. Drinking rainwater out of the footprint of the animal in question or from certain enchanted streams were also considered effectual modes of accomplishing metamorphosis. Which is a concept that I love because that means it doesn't have to be just a wolf. Alicia says that she can't decide if she would rather be a duck or a bear. She thinks both would be magnificent. Yes. I'm picturing. See, so when I wrote this, I had to add this in there because <laughs> I didn't know who was gonna be saying it, and I needed I needed it to be said. Because you know, like you're you're walking and you just see like the footprints of an animal, and imagine just like drinking the collected water out of the footprint of a duck. And just getting to turn into a duck. Or like a goose. Like, Untitled Goose Game could be real. <laughs> I just, I want to know who first came up with the concept of seeing an animal print in the ground and be like, I'm going to drink some water out I'm of I'm going to drink that mud. And like, <laughs> I love that. I feel that. like that's how you get some diseases. I don't know. Cholera. <laughs> Dysentery. And like, the bear thing. Like, how fucking badass would that be? If like you just see a bear print full of water and you're just like, I'm going to drink that. Or like, could it work with dinosaurs? Probably. Like, if you were at some archaeological does it have site to, Okay, and you, like, now we need to pose the question. It, does it have to be the actual original footprint, or could it be, like, a fossil? 
I yeah. think it has to be the original footprint because I'm imagining it has to be like imbued with like their essence. Yes, and and their a DNA. and a fossil is no longer necessarily imbued with their essence because well, it's dried up mud. I will take the fall and bust into a museum and drink out of a fossil. <laughs> And we'll see. Yeah, and <laughs> and just gets get caught arrested. by security and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, hang on, I just got to drink out of this. <laughs> I need to become a T-Rex. You don't get it. <laughs> Imbecile. Uh, do you contain human, or do you retain human intelligence in this theory? I, I have no, I don't think so. Because I mean, like, oh, I mean, no, like. You can't turn into a T-Rex, man. Like. Velociraptor. Velociraptors are worse. Yes. <laughs> Why can't you just turn into one of, like, the giant, like, I am a stegosaurus. <laughs> Stegosauruses are, are kind of violent, too. Be like be like Littlefoot from the land before time. That's not fun. It wasn't Littlefoot a stegosaurus? He's a brachiosaurus. Yeah, he's a brachiosaurus. Whatever. He was so peaceful and wholesome. He was. Maybe I don't want to be peaceful and wholesome. I, I love you, Littlefoot. aggressive. I can't wait to have kids someday so they can watch The Land Before Time. Fuck Disney. We're going to watch The Land Before Time. I agree. <laughs> Name before time was my shit. Anyway. Anyways, now it's time for me to be unable to pronounce things. The 16th century Swedish writer... Olas Magnus. <laughs> Olas Magnus, that, says that Livonian werewolves were initiated by draining a cup of specially prepared beer and repeating a set formula. Ralston, in his Songs of the Russian People, gives the form of incantation still familiar in Russia... In Italy, France, and Germany, it was said that a man or a woman could turn into a werewolf if he or she, on a certain Wednesday or Friday, slept outside on a summer night with the full moon shining directly on his or her face. Very specific. In other cases, the transformation was supposedly accomplished by satanic allegiance for the most loathsome ends, often for the sake of sating a craving for human flesh, as Satanists do. As Satanists do. Sounds like Catholic propaganda. I don't know. Once you have become your furry alter ego, you would experience supernatural strength, heightened senses, hunting instincts, and the natural weapons of a wolf's strong jaws filled with sharp teeth as well as their fierce claws. Now we have to get into actual historic recollections of werewolves throughout the world. I'm going to start with Ireland because the story is actually quite wholesome. There is no exact date to this tale, but we know it was before the 12th century. An Irish priest, accompanied by a boy, was traveling to Ulster in Meath. One night in the woods, a wolf approached the priest. As it came near, it began speaking of God. The priest became terrified and couldn't believe what he was seeing and hearing. The trembling priest asked the wolf what kind of creature was he, that he had the shape of a wolf but the words of a man. The wolf told the priest there was only one other creature like him, and that was his wife. They were the native people of Ossery, cursed by Saint Natalis for some ancient sin. The curse compelled two Ossery people, a man and a woman, to take the wolf form and remain in the form every seven years. After that period, two new people would take their place and the prior two would return to human form. The wolf told the priest that his wife was very sick and dying. He was there to seek the priest's help in his wife's absolution. After all, they were just ordinary human beings under the wolf skin. Baffled and still terrified, the priest reluctantly followed the wolf. When they came near the ailing wolf, it thanked the priest for agreeing to administer the viaticum, but sensing hesitation in the priest and to assure him he wouldn't commit blasphemy by giving the dying wolf viaticum, the male wolf peeled the skin of his ailing companion from the head down to the belly with his claw. Seeing a weak old woman underneath the hanging wolf skin, the priest gave her the viaticum. Upon concluding the viaticum, the male wolf rolled the wolf skin back over his wife's body. The old woman returned to her wolf form. 
What is unique about this story is it is recorded as an instance rather than a mere myth. It became indexed in the Topographia Hibernica, a treatise on Irish geography and folklore. Gotti de Berry, Gerald of Wales, wrote the treatise towards the end of the 12th century, around 1188. Um, did you? I don't know that you put this in here. Um, no, it doesn't look like it. Apparently, St. Patrick dealt with a pack of werewolves. Did he? Yes, St. Patrick, when he was traveling through Ireland, um, there was a bunch of wolves that came and attacked him, and he found out this entire village was... Uh, cursed and they were all werewolves and I don't remember the exact story because it's been years and years since I've We can it. look it up and we can do it in our Ireland one. Yes. So he uh, banished the werewolves or whatever. But yeah. Classy St. Patrick. Alright, moving on to Scandinavia. The most famous werewolf story in Scandinavia is about a father and son, Sigmund and Sinfjoitli. I'm guessing. <laughs> While wandering in the woods, Sigmund and that other guy <laughs> came upon a hut where they would find two spellbound wolf pelts. If put on, either pelt will turn a man into a wolf, and the person will possess the power, cunningness, and valor of wolves. But once on, the pelt can only be removed on the tenth day. Having put on the pelts, Sigmund and Sinfjoitli turned into wolves and began wandering about the forest together. Before they split up, they agreed to howl to each other if either of them encountered seven men to fight at a time. Sinfjoitli, the son, breaches the agreement and kills 11 men at one time. Why did it have to be seven? I guess I just thought like that was the amount that they could handle. And then the son is just like, I can handle more. So he And he does, you know, he finds these 11 men, kills all of them, and it really ticked daddy off. Uh, angered, Sigmund fatally injures his son. But then a raven, the messenger of Odin, brings a healing leaf to place on Sinfjoitli's wound. And after he becomes healed from his injury, he and his father take off the enchanted wolf pelts as the tenth day arrived. They burned the pelts to ashes and freed themselves from the curse of lycanthropy. That's a lovely story, but they just like committed murder and then got away with it. I am imagining that the number seven has some, like, significance in, like, uh, Norse mythology or something, and that's why it's seven, but I don't know enough about, like, North mythology to say that for sure. I can look. I have many books that I have not completely read through. (laughs) I obviously do not have the time or the resources to do that. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm understanding why they're just, like, going out and slaughtering people for fun, but... Well, I think it was, like, they were... Going in the woods, and I think like the people were hunting wolves. I think it was the other way around. Oh, so they were being hunted. I think the people people. were trying to kill them, and they were like trying to just fight back. That's the way I perceived it. Yeah, because I'm reading it as like I don't think they they were like pelts, and they're like, all right, let's let's go kill seven men at a time. Some people, only seven, son. Only I'll kill you if you choose otherwise. Okay. Also, like, what kind of dad gets so ticked off? He's like, how dare you kill more than seven? I'm going to kill you. That's, that's the wolf brain thinking. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it seems very intense. But then in South America, the, how do you guys think that, like, they pronounce it? Louisian. It sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> Louisian? Louisian. <laughs> the Louisian, also written as El Lobizan or just the Lobizon, is the South American werewolf. 
Uh, the myth is that the Louisan mainly prevails in Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. And it stems from the Portuguese belief that the seventh son of a family of all boys would turn into a Louisan on the night of a full moon, especially if it fell on a Friday. The myth is especially prevalent in Argentina. So even the Argentine president, Juan Domingo Perón, believes in this myth. The origin of the Luisan legend is in Guarani mythology. The Guarani are the indigenous people of Paraguay, whose mythology stated that there were seven monsters. Lots of seven popping up in these few paragraphs. Of the seven monsters, the last one, known as Luisan, had a horrendous appearance, but had no apparent resemblance with a wolf. Uh, but it became known as the god of death. When Europeans colonized South America, Louisan's association with death became to wane over time, and the Louisan myth eventually mixed with European werewolf legends. So the Lobizan morphed into a half-man and half-wolf. I just remembered seven's a lucky number in most cultures, so that's probably why seven. And also, isn't in some European thing, it's like the seventh son of a seventh son has magic powers or something? Yes. There's a book series based off that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's so many sevens. Seven! Because it's a lucky number. Anyways, a notable exception to the association of Lycopanthe and the devil that we already talked about comes from a rare and lesser-known account of an 80-year-old man named Thies. In 1692, in Jürgensburg, Livonia, Thies testified under oath that he and other werewolves were the hounds of God. He claimed that they were warriors who went down into hell to do battle with witches and demons. Their efforts ensured that the devil and his minions did not carry off the grain from local fail crops down to hell. What a strange thing. Why are you defending this? Why is the devil so interested? And why does he give a shit about fail crops? Like, <laughs> what I, I, if why I'm would concerned, he care about that crop? Hell can have the failed crop, for all I care. Like, it doesn't seem like something, a hill that you should be willing to die on. I don't know. If the devil wants some failed crops that are useless to everybody else. Theus was actually steadfast in his assertions, claiming that werewolves in Germany and Russia also did battle with the devil's minions and their own versions of hell, and insisted that when werewolves died, their souls were welcome into heaven as a reward for their service. Thea's was ultimately sentenced to 10 lashes for idolatry and superstitious belief. Poor guy. Like, he's just like, yeah, werewolves, they're like, they're not that bad, man. And they're just like, no! No, that is not all he did. (laughs) He went, werewolves aren't that bad, and I actually am a werewolf, and we do battle with the devil to prevent him from taking (laughs) our failed crops. Dude, I'd believe him. (laughs) I would totally believe him. I mean, it's 1692. You're Catholic, dude. Someone's telling you they're doing battle with the devil. You're like, yes. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I wonder how many people in these stories were actually just schizophrenic and they didn't know what schizophrenia was. So they're just like, yep. I don't know that's necessarily schizophrenia or if it's just like. Oh, I, sometimes I just really do think it's an overactive imagination. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just. Some of these things I don't feel like people could come up with on their own. It's just too detailed to, like, I don't know. Anyways, in Germany, prior to the infamous Peter Stump case, the Grimm brothers actually had a werewolf tale that was way more intense than Little Red Riding Hood. 
A soldier stated this story happened to his grandfather. His grandfather went into the forest to cut wood with a friend and a third man. There was something strange about the third man, but the grandfather couldn't tell for sure what it was. After they had done their job and had become tired, the third man recommended they take a nap. Accordingly, the three men lay down on the ground and closed their eyes. The grandfather pretended to fall asleep, but kept his eyes slightly open. He was keen to find the reason behind the third man's strange behavior. The third man looked to see if the other two men were sleeping. After feeling confident that both men were asleep, he put on a belt and became a wolf. But he didn't resemble a natural wolf. He looked somewhat different. He quickly ran off to a nearby field where he ambushed a pregnant female horse and devoured it completely. The man came back, took off his belt, and lay down again in human form near the others. While returning to town, the third man complained about having a stomach ache. As they entered the town gate, the grandfather whispered into the man's ear, when one devours a whole horse. But before he could finish his sentence, the third man interrupted, Had you said this to me in the forest, you would not be able to say this now. That's a threat. I was say, is that a threat? Sure is. Third man? Third man. You don't even have a name, third man. Lame. Your parents didn't love you. <laughs> None of them had names in this story, actually. So. <laughs> yeah, but but like, he was third man. There was like grandfather, friend, and third man. <laughs> Do they just invite this stranger or go it's, off with It's them? like getting cast in a play. And, like, you know, there's, like, Cinderella and, like, the godmother. Then you're, like, the sloppy girl on the street. (laughs) The (laughs) The third stepsister. A.K.A. That was a real story that happened to me. I'm still mad, Miss Gardner. You're the sloppy girl on the street? I was the sloppy girl on the street. Wow. I had one line. I wish I didn't like to eat. Because, like, same. (laughs) Totally accurate. Moving on. Moving on. In French folklore, the werewolf is called... We all know that French pronunciation is a little too fancy for me, but so I'm going to say this how it's spelled. Loup-garou. So, the French werewolf is called the loup-garou. France was particularly afflicted with reports of werewolves in the 16th century, and there were many notable convictions and executions of loup-garous. As a subject for 20th century horror films, the werewolf tradition is second only to the vampire tradition in popularity, which also was mostly in France. Um, werewolves are believed to turn into vampires after death in French folklore. Um, French tradition, as well as the story of Peter Stump, which Drew briefly mentioned and Alex will talk more about in a little bit, um, led to the idea that people who believed in werewolves are subconsciously trying to explain the phenomenon of a serial killer as people found it easier to believe that an animal or monster was responsible for crimes and considered, you know, too heinous and unspeakable for any human being to commit. For instance, in 1521, two men named Pierre Bougot and Michel von Verdun were executed as werewolves, when in actuality they were a couple of serial killers who joined forces. In France, another self-confessed serial killer, Giles Garnier, or the werewolf of Dole, was put to death in 1573. There are many other cases such as these that took place all over Europe during that period. So, is it a coincidence that the wolf population was also at its zenith at the same time? Uh, Were people confusing the behavior of animals with animalistic behavior? Um, In countries which wolves are not that common, the monster may assume the form of another dangerous animal, such as, you know, a bear, or a tiger, or hyena. So... It's happening all over in like the same way. And do you think you can plead werewolf instead of plead insanity? 
I play werewolf. Like, yeah, they, they got you on the bench, and they're like, how do you plead? And you're like... Werewolf. <laughs> you're like, I, I plead not guilty. By reason of werewolf. By reason of by werewolf. By reason of lycropan- lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. Yeah, yeah, by reason of lycanthropy. I, I think, think they would be like, that's, he means not guilty by reason of insanity. Let's throw him in there. But he, you know, you'd be like, no, no, no. Lycanthropy. I'm a werewolf. I'm, I'm not insane. I have an alternate personality who is a werewolf. I think we should have Chandler test this theory. You want Chandler to become a werewolf, or you want him to, commit to a crime? get arrested? I want, for him to, I want him to commit a crime. And okay. Then, and I then mean, that's like can't be. Okay. That won't be too hard. I agree. I think we can get him to do it. Or time and a half. Time and a half. Oh, yeah, we'll offer him time and a half. I'm sure he'll be all about that. Or when Drew breaks into a museum and drinks out of the footprint of a T Rex. I was oh, yes, trying to become my worked. true form. It worked. I already drank out of it, and it worked. So. I plead lycanthropy. I plead lycanthropy. You need to find uh, court cases where people pleaded lycanthropy. (laughs) France's influence actually spread all the way to the present-day U.S., where it has combined with Native American tradition over time, but there are distinct differences. Typically, the French werewolf or loup-garou. 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 Don't they not pronounce peace? It's it's Lou-garou, I think. Lou-garou. I don't know. I like (laughs) loup-garou. You don't pronounce the P. But I like the P. I, I can't pronounce like French at all. I do like to P, but I also like P. You like P. Yep. <laughs> I think it's Lou Garou. Alicia Oliver, 2021. Anyway. I would like that on the quote wall, please. Anyways, uh, that creature has a human reasoning within it. Hence, it attempts to free itself from the lycanthropic lycanthropic curse. It was placed under the curse by someone's witchcraft, whereas the Wendigo, a werewolf-like creature in the Native American folklore, is characterized by malevolence and cannibalism. As these two creatures' characteristics combined, we found a new type of Lugaro legend still present in Canada, the upper and lower peninsulas of Michigan, and upstate New York, all three places once being French colonies. There is something else that we should discuss regarding the American lycanthrope. Does Lou Garou rhyme with... Okay, this is entirely dependent on how you actually pronounce these. I'm not going through this, Alicia. Does Lou Garou or Garou rhyme with Rogaru? Pronounced Lou Garou and Rougarou, respectively. These words rhyme with each other. Because Rougarou is the variant of French Lougarou. The Rougarou, most commonly described as a bayou-dwelling werewolf, appears in Louisiana folklore. The legend of the Rougarou is common across French Louisiana, also once a French colony. Unfortunately, there are no specific tales about the Rougarou that I could find, uh, but don't worry, I'm still looking. That but, whole okay. rhyming thing that you just did there gave me a bigger migraine than time slips did. You had how to pronounce Lugaroo here the whole time, <laughs> and yet you pronounced it wrong. Well, you want to know what, Alex? I wrote this in March. <laughs> That's fair enough. That is fair enough. I can't argue with that. Don't judge me. Let's talk about Peter. Okay, so we need to talk about our buddy Peter. As we said, the case of Peter Stump is probably the most well-known werewolf story of all time. In Bedburg, Germany, in the year 1582, there lived a wealthy farmer named Peter Stube, also known as Peter Stump, which allegedly was because he was missing a hand or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, He was a widower and had two young teenage children. 
Peter's story devolves over time as he experienced a descent into insanity. The farmers of Bedburg were experiencing a strange amount of cattle mutilations. They would find them ripped open in the pastures and figured it was wolves, although this was unusual, as not much of the meat was actually consumed. It was more pure savagery, driven by Peter's compulsion to kill. Soon the cattle wasn't enough to satiate Peter's whims, so he moved on to kidnapping children and young women. Children would disappear from their homes and young women would go missing on their walks. Some were found completely mutilated and others disappeared entirely and were never found again. The people of Bedburg were thrown into absolute panic because they thought there were hungry wolves in the woods who had moved on from cattle to human flesh. The more superstitious town folk were sure that there was, in fact, a werewolf at play. They believed werewolves were regular men who could turn into a wolf to satisfy their hunger. These werewolves were people who transformed into normal wolves, not the half-wolf, half-man creature we tend to think of today. This was, in a way, sort of true. Peter had a wolf cloak he would don while seeking out and attacking the villagers. At his trial, he claimed that the devil himself had given him the wolf skin when he was 12 years old and that it allowed him to transform into, and I quote from the trial, the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like brands of fire, a mouth great and wide, and most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. Peter was, in truth, simply a serial killer. He killed 13 children, two pregnant women, and a significant amount of livestock. I'm about to recount the various ways he mutilated his victims, and it's quite gruesome, so consider this your official trigger warning, because it's disgusting. He sexually assaulted the young woman he killed, and afterwards he completely tore them open. As for the pregnant women, he ripped them open and removed the fetuses, and once again I quote, ate their hearts panting and raw, and referred to them as dainty morsels. Ew. Oh god, I hate that. Yeah. Small children he would bludgeon as well as strangle, and then he would rip their throats open with his bare hands. Some of them he disemboweled and partially consumed. The sheep and cows he mutilated were ripped apart and eaten raw. At one point, he performed a triple murder. There were two men and a young woman traversing through the woods. He called out to one of the men and asked if he could help with moving some lumber. After he joined him, he bludgeoned his head and caved in his skull. The other man soon came to find the first man after he disappeared, and he met the same fate. The woman realized something was going on and attempted to run away, but he caught her. The two men were found later, but the woman never was, and it's possible that he ate her entire body. Peter also had a disturbing, incestuous relationship with both his sister and his daughter, and his daughter was eventually impregnated by him. He also murdered his own son by taking him into the woods and killing him shortly after eating his brains. His capture was strange. Some villagers took their hunting dogs and decided to go after this wolf that they were sure was killing people after finding severed limbs in a field. Apparently, over the course of days, they chased down what they believed to be an actual wolf, as described by the hunters. When they finally caught up with the wolf, instead they found Peter cowering as the dogs surrounded him. They were very confused by Peter's presence, as he was a well-respected member of the community. However, it was clear that they had been chasing him, and so they took him to trial. Now, as I said earlier, Peter claimed he had, like, a wolf cloak that he would wear. Um, but when the hunters found him, he was only holding a walking stick. He didn't have this wolf cloak. But they 100% believed they were chasing an actual regular wolf the entire way until they cornered him. Um, Peter didn't confess until his time on the stretching rack, where he then explained that he was in league with the devil and that he practiced black magic. He also told them about his wolf skin that transformed him. He was found guilty on October 28, 1589, and was executed in a rather disturbing fashion. Another trigger warning for you. This is disgusting. His body was strapped down 
spread eagle on a large wheel where there were red hot pincers that burned his flesh. Then his executioners pulled his skin from his bones in 10 spots. Later, his arms and legs were broken with the blunt side of a massive axe. And finally, his head was cut off. Eye for an eye, I guess. (laughs) This was a very slow process. Some argue that Peter was not, in fact, the serial killer and that he simply confessed under duress as he was being tortured to put an end to the pain. I disagree and strongly believe that it was Peter, as his son was clearly killed by him and he was abusing his daughter and sister, so he was clearly insane in the first place, you know? He was a deranged serial killer who took a lot of pleasure in slaughtering and then mutilating his victims. While perhaps he did have some mental illness that made him believe the devil was telling him to do these things, it was still, in my mind at least, undoubtedly him. As we know, the devil has diplomatic immunity and cannot be brought to trial. But Peter can. Peter can. Peter can. Uh, Even though Stoop was dead and gone, his high-profile gruesome story and execution ensured that werewolf legends would remain a part of the collective consciousness for some time to come. What a great I guy! I don't. I know. I shouldn't say I love that, but like, holy crap, that was a that was a roller coaster Wholesome right family there. Family story right there. Let's tell that. Around Let's the go back to the Irish story. Wait, <laughs> actually, this wasn't in when I was researching this story, but this is something that I remember from reading entirely separately. He had like um, a murder basement, basically, where he was like killing and eating these people. Sounds about right. Yeah. So that was like another. How did he not, like, catch a disease from eating all these... I don't know, because don't don't they have those prions or peons or something that are in your brain that if you eat other people's brains, it, like, gives you the equivalent of bad cow disease? Yeah, I thought so. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't eat brains very often. He only ate his son's brain. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Uh, (laughs) To wrap things up, uh, we should try to answer some common questions about lycanthropy. Why can't I say that fucking word? Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy and werewolves. First up, can lycanthropy be cured? St. Hubert, also known as St. Hubertus, is most commonly known as the patron saint of hunters, archers, dogs, forest workers, and trappers. But more uncommonly, he is also known as the patron saint for the protection against werewolves. Hubert lived during the Middle Ages, around 656 to 727 AD. It is said that St. Hubert could heal deadly diseases such as rabies or infections from dog bites and wolf bites. After he died, the monks at St. Hubert's Abbey gave people who sought the aid of St. Hubert something called St. Hubert's Key, a metal charm shaped like a cross, cone, or metal nail. The charm was supposed to be able to rid the body of disease, like rabies or other infections, caused by dog or wolf bite. It is believed the fresher the bite, the more effective the treatment, which involved heating the charm and placing it on the bite to sterilize the wound. This makes sense. It does. Scientifically. Cauterizing the wound, yes. The charms were also hung on walls or carried as protection. It is said that the key was originally given to St. Hubert by St. Peter. Because of its association with healing wolf bites, there is some belief that St. Hubert's key could also be used as protection against werewolves or also be a possible cure for being a werewolf. Wait, St. Peter gave him the key? He did indeed. St. Peter? St. Peter. He's like 700 years old, I guess, at this point. He came down from above and was like, yo, St. Hubert. Here's a key. From one homie to the next. One <laughs> saint, you and me, here's a key. Sure. You know, it's kind of like Gabriel visiting. You know, it's fine. I, Peter is not an angel. Maybe he is and you just don't know. <laughs> oh my god. <gosh. laughs> Various methods have existed for removing the werewolf form. 
In antiquity, the ancient Greeks and Romans believed in the power of exhaustion in curing people of lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. I don't know why I struggle with it. Of lycanthropy. The victim would be subjected to long periods of physical activity in hopes of being purged of the malady. This practice stemmed from the fact that many alleged werewolves would be left feeling weak and debilitated after committing depredations. In medieval Europe, Traditionally, there are three methods one can use to cure a victim of lycanthropy. Medicinally, usually via the use of wolfsbane, surgically, or by exorcism. However, many of the cures advocated by medieval medical practitioners prove fatal to the patients, believe it or not. A Sicilian belief of Arabic origin holds that a werewolf can be cured of its ailment by striking it on the forehead or scalp with a knife. God. <laughs> <laughs> Another belief from the same culture involves the piercing of the werewolf's hands with nails. Sometimes less extreme methods were used. In the German lowland of the Schleswig Holstein, <laughs> a werewolf could be cured if one were to simply address it three times by its Christian name. That's some devil stuff right there. I mean, but it does sound like the simplest method, other than just hitting it with a knife. <laughs> like... <Yeah. laughs> I mean, that will solve your problem because it will kill them. But, yeah. but maybe it's like the blood end. <laughs> or like, like I, I feel like Somehow I doubt it's not the blood end because you could like use it, anything if it was. Yeah, I feel like it would have been specified. That it okay, but it doesn't end. say stab. It just says smack. So it's like the flat end and you're just like, <laughs> bink. Let me just grab a knife real quick and smack you with it and see how it goes. How do they even figure this thing out? Like, <laughs> what did trial they, and error. Where did they go through trial and error? To end up at hitting them in the head with a knife and being like, yeah, that works. <laughs> I mean, we talk about testing things on Channy. <laughs> knife. Smack. That's how I'm going to greet him when he walks in the door. I'm going <laughs> to smack him with a knife. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, there is uh, one Danish belief that is held that uh, merely scolding a werewolf will cure it, which I find hysterical. Are we talking scolding like bad werewolf? That's a bad dog. Bad dog. Are we talking like... Well, no, I guess scalding would be with an A. So, yeah, scalding. Bad werewolf. Yeah, like a mother would with a child that is misbehaving. Put it in timeout. I love that. You can't move from that chair for 30 minutes the because Danes, you ate man. the neighbor. Bad werewolf. Bad. Anyway, conversion to Christianity is also a common method of removing the disease because, you know, why wouldn't it be in the medieval period? Because, you know, Satan and all that is werewolf so satan bad christianity good a devotion to saint hubert has also been cited as both a cure for and protection from lycanthropes next how do you protect yourself from a werewolf one of the most ancient talismans against lycanthropy is the herb wolfsbane said to have grown from the saliva of cerberus the three-headed dog guardian of the greek underworld where hercules brought him up to the surface world Hercules is not the Greek pronunciation of... No, it is not. I apologize. I was very busy when I wrote <laughs> Heracles. Anyways. Other herbs that legends say are effective as werewolf repellents include rye, mistletoe, and mountain ash. Werewolves are not affected by religious symbols like crucifixes and holy waters like vampires would be. So I'm not sure where the whole uh, devil association is coming from, but... Now... The big question that's on all of our minds, obviously, is how do you kill a werewolf? 
You stab them with the knife instead of you slapping it. I want to hold their hand. I don't want to kill them. No. They Freaking Van Helsing was, here, okay. They lust for our blood. We must lust for theirs. So, uh, the very uh, common uh, belief is that werewolves are vulnerable to weapons containing silver, such as, you know, silver bullets or silver blades. The silver bullet is the most iconic anti-werewolf weapon, but in many stories, anything silver causes agonizing pain if it touches the beast. Therefore, to be most certain of killing the monster, a werewolf hunter should carry good quantities of wolfsbane, ryegrains, mistletoe, and mountain ashes, laser wood, and be armed with a variety of well-made silver weapons. Since it is likely that a werewolf will overpower a human in close combat, it is essential to have a gun or two custom designed to shoot silver bullets at a long range. Once disabled by the gun, the werewolf can be finished off if necessary using a sword or an axe with a silver-plated blade. You'll see this in almost any movie that you watch about werewolves. Werewolf hunters are always in the need of the silver bullet to kill the werewolf, claiming that that is the only thing that will kill it. Sometimes a silver blade is used. The method is often used in Hollywood movies and werewolf fiction, and often anything that is pure silver will work. Piercing the heart is the preferred method, of course, with anything it would be. No. Some say that silver is just a concoction of fiction in Hollywood and that silver cannot really kill a werewolf. True or not? We do not know. We have not encountered a werewolf. But. Not yet. If we do, Alex will hold its hand. I will. It will eat her. And Alicia and I will fight it with silver weapons. I can't think of a better way to go out, though, than being eaten by a werewolf. What about throwing yourselves off the cliff some more? Oh, God. Can I do both at the same time? You're <laughs> being eaten by a werewolf as you both get thrown off on the yeah. cliff of more. And that's how you kill the werewolf. And we'll be standing at the bottom with a silver sword. <laughs> just <laughs> waiting to kill <laughs> <impale> you. <laughs> Knowing it's going to fall just right on top of me. Like, oh god. I need like yeah. an umbrella. It's just silver. I'll be up top at the cliff of more and toss you both off as, as it's eating you. And Alicia will be at the bottom waiting to impale you. Like, no, okay. <laughs> Alicia has a gun, right? She has a shotgun. And it's like, what, what do you call that? When they, they throw the discs in the air and you shoot them. I'm not familiar. I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know. It's like that. the clay pigeon thing. Yes, the clay pigeon things, and then you shoot them. So it's like that, except your target's massive, so you can't find You just so hear me, like, at the top of the cliffs of more. Pull! <laughs> and then I'm being eaten. Alicia shoots the werewolf. We both hit the water, and we're dead, and it's fine. I'm not sure if I like the idea of the pool and being shot more, or Alicia making a kebab out of you two with the force of the gravity coming in. <laughs> but I've said, like I said, I want it to be a very strong umbrella that I can just stand under to have just like a pointy thing in the top so oh I'm sheltered God. from it. Anyway. <sighs> Anyways, uh, then there's mercury. Uh, mercury is considered almost as good as silver at killing werewolves. In fact, mercury has long been known as quicksilver, which is probably where the idea of silver came from in the first place. Uh, I do want to note here that Mercury is capable of killing anything, not just uh, werewolves. That's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's actually uh, no, best method. I mean, no shit, Sherlock. So anyways. is a silver bullet. <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. Uh, removal of the heart or the head also works. This is the traditional way to kill a werewolf, as told by legends. Any method that completely destroys the heart or the brain will kill the werewolf. They will say decapitation is the most effective way. Then, of course, there's other werewolves. In some horror fiction, werewolves can only be killed by another werewolf, which is some Twilight shite right there, if I've ever seen it. 
And finally, there's a werewolf's human form. Some legends say if you kill the werewolf while it was in human form, that is the most effective way to kill the werewolf because it's easier. It's the most effective way, but it's the most boring way. Like, it is. It's also the most gruesome. The most like, you're killing a human way. being at that point. Like, and a lot of, like, legends indicate that werewolves don't remember or have control over their actions. So you're just killing when them. Yeah, so the first guy's like, reason. what is happening? And that's you're like, a werewolf! That's, like, murder, but, like... If you're killing a werewolf, I think it would be that's more self-defense. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just. I, I think it would be more fun to fight the werewolf, also. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, the the tension. Definitely. You don't know if you're gonna get bitten and and contract lycanthropy yourself. Like, it's good. Says the woman who wants to be eaten by one instead of, you know, fighting it. If I don't get eaten, then I turn into a werewolf, and then we can hold hands again. Picking up what I'm throwing down. Alex is going to be like the old werewolf couple from Ireland. Yes, yes we'll be the old werewolf couple from Ireland. <laughs> exactly. This is Alex's plan. This is the dream. This is why I'm going oh, to Ireland to find the werewolf. I'm concerned. I can't wait to go visit her. <laughs> All right. So lastly, we're going to talk about possible medical reasonings that could explain the werewolf phenomenon of so long ago. This is going to be weird. <laughs> now, some modern researchers have tried to explain the reports of werewolf behavior with recognized medical conditions. Dr. Lee Eilis of Guy's Hospital in London wrote a paper in 1963 entitled On Porphyria and the Ideology of Werewolves. Now, we've already talked about porphyria in the vampire episode, but this is actually a different type of porphyria. Just to clarify. So everyone has porphyria, but different kinds. Now, in this paper, um, Dr. Lee argues that historical accounts on werewolves could have, in fact, been referring to victims of congenital porphyria, stating how the symptoms of photosensitivity, reddish teeth, and psychosis could have been grounds for accusing a sufferer of being a werewolf. Congenital porphyria is pretty complicated to explain, so I'll do my best. It's a very rare inherited metabolic disorder resulting from deficient function of the enzyme uroporphyridogen 3 cosynthase. Cosynthase? Cosynthase. Anyway, it's shortened to U-R-O-S. <laughs> Due to the impaired function of this enzyme, excessive amounts of particular porphyrins... Yeah, perfurins. Perfurins accumulate, particularly in the bone marrow, plasma, red blood cells, urine, teeth, and bones. The major symptom of this disorder is hypersensitivity to the skin to sunlight um, and some of the artificial sunlight, such as fluorescent lights. After exposure to light, the photoactive porphyrins in the skin cause bullet, which is blistering. And the fluid-filled sacs rupture, and the lesions often get infected. These infected lesions can lead to scarring, bone loss, and the disease itself leads to increased hair growth and deformities. The hands, arms, and face are the most commonly affected areas. Typically, there is no family history of the disease. Neither parent has symptoms of CEP, but each carries a defective gene that they can pass on to their children, and then the affected offspring has two copies of the defective gene, um, one inherited from each parent. CEP affects males and females in equal numbers, 
and there have been over 200 cases reported worldwide ever. Um, these symptoms usually start in like infancy and they can cause anemia in a fetus before birth, which can cause a lot of problems, but on rare occasions, it can show up in adulthood. So I think that's a really good cause for this to be happening, but there are other things. Um, this is widely argued by um, Dr. Woodward, who points out how mythological werewolves were almost invariably portrayed as resembling true wolves, and that their human forms were rarely physically conspicuous as peripheral victims. Others have pointed out the possibility of historic werewolves having been sufferers of hypertrichosis, a hereditary condition manifesting itself in excessive hair growth. However, Woodward dismissed the possibility as the rarity of the disease rules it out from happening on a large scale as werewolf cases were in medieval Europe. Now here's where it gets bad. Um, some other possibilities that people have thrown out there as reasons that, you know, people could be werewolves. One of them is um, Down syndrome. Some scholars have suggested that people suffering from Down syndrome are the possible originators of werewolf myths. Luckily, Dr. Woodward argues against that too. He further suggests that, well, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> and more likely it's something like rabies as the origin of werewolf beliefs, claiming remarkable similarities between the symptoms of that disease and some of the legends. Woodward just um, focused on the idea that being bitten by a werewolf could result in the victim turning into one which suggested the idea of a transmittable disease like rabies. However, the idea that lycanthropy could be transmitted in this way is not part of the original myths and legends and only appears in relatively recent beliefs. Lycanthropy can also be met with as the main content of a delusion. For example, the case of a woman had been reported who during episodes of acute psychosis complained of becoming four different species of animals. So, that's lots of medical reasons that could potentially be the reason for all of these werewolf sightings and instances throughout Europe and South America and Asia and all that jazz. Science is boring. Werewolves are cooler. I think the vampire ones make a lot more sense than the werewolf Agreed. ones. Agreed. And I think that the vampire one, the best consensus was rabies there too. Yeah. You have rabies, you either become a werewolf or a vampire. Boo, pick. science, vampires and werewolves no, are no, real. No, pick. You have rabies. Are you becoming a vampire or a werewolf? Um, I feel like I'd rather I become a werewolf. I almost got rabies. Not really, but... Um. <laughs> I feel like I'd rather become a werewolf. I don't know. I feel like remembering like from the vampire episode all the stories of like the people that they were like dragging out of their coffins who like weren't dead yet and like their skin was all gross like i don't know something about that like is way worse to me than like being like that person wants to eat people like <laughs> as a vampire you want to eat people too but i don't know. but like it, i don't know i guess i was a werewolf type kid you were yeah i always thought i preferred to be a werewolf i thought it was cooler but like the type of werewolf that actually turns into a wolf not the like half fucking man not yeah american werewolf Drew wants to be a tri like a twilight werewolf yeah i want to look like jacob not like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like Doc, like um, like Lupin. I want to be, I want to be Remus. Okay, that was like the worst form though. Like he was in pain. Okay, you know, like in the book though, he's like a normal wolf, kind of. Oh, is he? Yeah, in the book, he's he, not just like a like a wolf without skin that's standing on two legs. Oh, Alicia never read Harry Potter. I that, never have read Harry, but I watched all the movies and I've never read the books. Don't 
judge me. Okay, Snape has them read about werewolves, and one of the things is they, uh, Hermione is obviously the only one that ever does any of the homework, so one of the things is telling a werewolf apart from a regular wolf, and they mostly look like a normal wolf, but there are slight differences like muzzle length and things like that. So he does look like a, mostly like a normal wolf. So he just looked like serious. That's so dumb. <laughs> rabies is the method to which you evolve into a vampire or werewolf. That's what we're going with here. Yeah. And then Chandler and I absolutely had the chance at Post Town last month. You almost month got bit by that bat. <laughs> to become a vampire because there was a bat inside the building. And I texted Daryl, the owner of the building, hey, just so you know, there's a bat up on the second floor. And this man, <laughs> this man texted me back, okay, there's a, uh, there's a fishing net down in the uh, uh, closet down next to the bathroom. Uh, you can grab that. It makes for a pretty good bat catching tool. And at first, I'm just like, "Excuse me, what, Daryl? Why would I ever do this?" But then it took me about five minutes to become convinced. You know, yeah, I'm gonna catch this bat. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna like start like a bat catching show or something. I don't know. We didn't catch the you bat. You would have started screaming the moment you got it in the net and realized you had to like hold the net shut. I would have handled it. Mm. But yes, the bat was like flying above our heads. Chandler was panicking. My mom told me that Chandler screamed like a little girl when the bat swooped at him. <laughs> yeah. He was very scared of the bat. I was ready to catch the bat. I don't think Chandler was committed. I like bats. but I like bats. I wasn't going to hurt the bat by any means. I want okay. that preface here. I'm going to turn into a vampire simply so I can become a bat. There you go. That is... Bats are chill. They're just fine. Bats are really chill. They just like to hang upside down and sleep. I respect that. And eat... They eat bugs? That's great. They do eat bugs. One of my favorite parts of going to the Cincinnati Zoo is just going and looking at the bats. I love the bat house, yeah. It's so fun. Like, even, like, the itty-bitty little tiny vampire bats, because they're so small. They're so tiny, and they just sit there drinking their little tiny bowl of blood, and I just think it's the cutest fucking thing on the whole planet, and I spend Guys, so much time in that. Guys, your tickets just to go see the, see the bats. Guys, I have a Zoo membership. Do you? Chandler was mentioning the other day, actually he was mentioning it when we were on the way to Post Town, that he wanted to go to the Cincinnati Zoo sometime in summer. Guys, can we go to the zoo? Yeah, because I have to go before I leave. Can we please go to the zoo? We gotta go to the zoo. I have a I'm membership, down. and it has one free guest. I'm down to see some bats at a safe distance. <gasps> we can go babies. see the eye eyes! I love eye eyes! This is way off topic. Yeah. We can cut this out. It's fine. No, I think that we should leave it in, but I think we should wrap it up here before we get further off. Shout out to the Cincinnati IIs. Their names are Bob and Susan. <laughs> Terrific lore that we are learning here. Anyways. Cincinnati lore. <laughs> so that's everything we know about the myth of the werewolf. Um, thank you for listening to us today on this lovely podcast known as Paranormalize. In two weeks, you're going to be getting a rambling session of UFOs from Alex herself. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so, so excited. So we will see you then. And a special thank you to all of our patrons, but especially our Portal to Hell patron, Gabby Buggy. <laughs>